Well, church, friends, Halloween is upon us. It is this weekend, and I don't know about you, but I really enjoy Halloween. I enjoy the costumes. I enjoy the candy. I love handing out candy on Main Street every year with our church. Um, I, however, do not enjoy haunted houses. I don't know if any of you are haunted house fans. Um, I have tried them, but I have never been able to enjoy them. I'm the kind of person that doesn't handle fear well. Um, I typically, uh, if I get scared and do something like a haunted house, I'll have nightmares for a few weeks. Um, I just cannot handle it. Um, I I have, however, been to a haunted house. And here's the thing that strikes me about haunted houses. Um, The the one and only time I went, I was with a group of friends. And if you've, again, if you've been to a haunted house, you know this. When you go to a haunted house, before you go in outside, you're trying to decide what order you're going to go into the haunted house. Everyone doesn't want to be in the front, and everyone doesn't want to be in the back, right? Because if you're in the front, people are going to jump out and scare you a lot. But if you're in the back, someone's going to come up behind you and scare you. And so everyone is competing to be in the middle of the line going into a haunted house, when I, was, when I went with my friends, I was lucky enough to be in the middle behind this guy named Colton. Um, but I got to tell you, when I went through this haunted house, I still did not handle it well. It's from the moment we entered, I didn't realize I was doing this. Colton told me later that I was gripping his shirt and pulling it so tight that I was choking him uh, from, the, from the back. But uh, I grabbed Colton's shirt and was just like, no, 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 no. I did not like it one bit at all. And as we were going through these things, there were parts, I just kept getting more scared and more scared. And eventually I just dug my face into his back and just like went wherever he went. I just, wherever he went, I was going. Um, And then at one point, uh, you know, there's always a guy with a chainsaw at a haunted house and the guy with a chainsaw ran at us, scared me. I just froze. And all I remember is Colton saying, Sam, come on. And like basically just carrying me out of there. Um, He was a big guy, thankfully. Um, But Colton, uh, Colton, in that midst of that haunted house, was my guide. He was the thing I was clinging to to get me through those moments when I did not, um, when I did not know what to do. If he had not been there, I probably, honestly, would have just laid in the floor and had a panic attack. And the guy who's trying to scare me with the chainsaw would probably have had to carry me out, carry me out, which would have been equally as scary. Um, but Colton was there. He was my guide. When I didn't know where to go or what to do, or what to say, what even to think in a moment of terror. Colton was right there, and he guided me through this haunted house. Colton, if you're watching this, shout out to you. Thanks, man. Colton was a very real guide to me, and we all have guides in our life. We all need guides in our life, and there's a lot of people in your life that are guides, and you might be some of these. Parents are guides. Older siblings are guides. Managers, bosses, grandparents, mentors, teachers, coaches, You are probably one or several of these, or you at least have some of these in your life. These are all guides. These are all figurative, I'm going to use the language of our passage this morning, lamps that guide us in our lives in one way or another. And this morning, Peter is wanting us to remember our main lamp, the one true guide in our life, the Word of God, the Bible. If you're a note taker, the main point this morning is this. The word of God is our lamp. That's the main point this morning. If you want to jot that down at the top of your notes, the word of God is our 
lamp. Now let's go to our passage because, but first to understand this passage, before we just start reading it, we need to understand what's happening behind it because remember when the Bible was written, Peter wrote this letter, he's writing it to a specific situation. He is addressing a situation that is going on. And we need to understand that the churches he is writing to are going through a bad crisis. He's hearing about what is going on, and so he's writing to them. There are these false teachers, and you know, we're going to continue in 2 Peter, and you're going to hear a lot about these false teachers, so I'm not going to dwell too long on them here, but essentially what they are teaching is this. They are teaching these Christians that Peter, uh, the, the, the Christians that Peter brought the gospel to, they are teaching them that there is no second coming of Jesus. Jesus is not coming again, they're telling people, and therefore they're telling them, live however you want. You don't need the word of God. Just live however you want. I know Jesus said to do this or don't do this or to, to know that you are his child, but that, Jesus isn't coming again. It doesn't matter. Just live how you want. And so Peter is writing to address this false teaching because, if, I mean, it's a spiral. That Jesus is not coming, so there's no judgment, so there's no point in living how Christ has called us to live. Friends, the false teachers in Peter's day taught something very similar to a temptation that you and I experience. We are so often tempted to think, God has given me grace so I can do what I want. We may not say it as frankly as that. We may not, you know, voice it like that. But we may say or think something like, I know this is wrong, but God will forgive me. For example... I know that God's desire for me is to love those that I disagree with, but I just cannot love blank. They're, they're voting for this party or this party or this candidate, and I, that's just dumb. I cannot do it. I'm not going to love them. God, forgive me. Or maybe it's like this. God, I know I should not look at this. I know that your word says to flee from lust, but I want to. I feel like I need to. God, forgive me. And then we, go, we do it. Or maybe this, God, I know that I should engage my non-believing friend about Jesus. I know they need to hear about Jesus, but I don't want to make it awkward. I don't, want to, I don't want to hurt our relationship. I don't want to have to walk through a tough time in our relationship. So you'll take care of them. You'll forgive me. I'm not going to do it. Friends, when we do that, we essentially tread on the grace of God. God has saved us, forgiven us our sin. And instead of living in response to that, we are basically just treading on the grace he's given us. But here then is the crisis for Peter's churches. The word of God is under attack. They're undermining the authority of the word of God in all of these Christian lives. All these Christians' lives. There's no need to do anything Jesus or the apostles said, say the false teachers. Jesus is not coming again, so just live your life. God's word is not what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Church, we should notice that this is the same kind of deception that the serpent used in the Garden of Eden. In the creation story, God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He tells them, you can eat, of any, you can eat the fruit of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent comes to Eve. And he says, did God say you cannot eat of any tree? And Eve correctly says, oh, we can eat of any tree, but not that tree. And the serpent goes, oh, no, you can eat of that tree. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God just doesn't want you to know the things he knows. He tempts Eve. He causes her and Adam to doubt God's word, his command. 
He causes them to distrust the word of God. And as a result, they rebel against God. And he does the same thing to us. The serpent, the devil, he comes to our life and he whispers in our ear, the word of God is not important. You don't have to love that person. Yeah, Jesus said to do this or that, but if you don't agree with it, don't worry about it. Or the devil may try a different and even deadlier tactic. He starts whispering in our our ear, yeah, God's word says that you're his child, but do you really think that with what you've done and what you've said and what you've thought? I mean, do you really believe he could love you? See, he doesn't just go after our actions. He goes after our, our, our identity and what God's word says about our identity. In either case, the devil is undermining the word of God in our lives, what it, how it tells us to live and what it tells us about ourselves. This is the crisis that Peter's churches and us today face. We are tempted to undermine God's word to not listen to it, what it says about us or to how it tells us to live. In our passage this morning is Peter responding to this crisis. You may have noticed when we read through it, it has a lot to do with the word. That's because Peter is trying to build up the word. Um, we're now going to dive into our passage for this morning. This is Peter's response, and it is very apologetic. He is confronting these false teachers head on. He's defending the faith and saying, no, this is the correct way to think about this. So let's just dive in here. Peter jumps in in verse 16, and here is what he says in verse 16. He says, for we, and he says we, he's talking about the apostles, the disciples, Peter, James, John, Matthew, all those guys. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is basically saying that, like, look, me and the other apostles, we're not passing on some myth that we heard. When we came and shared the gospel with you, we didn't see this, we didn't hear about this from some other fisherman. We didn't hear about Jesus, like we didn't see a post about Jesus on Pontius Pilate's Facebook page, okay? We didn't, we didn't hear about Jesus on the Nazareth nightly news. We didn't watch a documentary on Netflix about him. No, we saw him. We heard him. The things that he has done, his power, his majesty, we have seen it and heard it. Peter is trying to tell them, look, the word of God is reliable. It's not just something we heard. It's an eyewitness testimony. And if that is true, then God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And it matters how you live because God is going to come back. And Peter kind of elaborates in the next couple of verses. He focuses on one incident, one thing that he saw what happened in Jesus' life. In Matthew, it's in Matthew 17, but he kind of sums it up here in verses 17 and 18. Jesus, uh, Peter writes, he says, For when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is recounting a moment when the disciples were with Jesus on a mountain, the transfiguration. And if you know the story in Matthew 17, Jesus takes his three closest disciples up on the mountain, and it says that God's glory shone around them. Jesus' face became like the sun. His clothes became white, and they heard God say from heaven, this is my beloved son. And they saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. It was this incredible moment. Basically, they saw heaven come down. 
They saw it come down. And so Peter is saying, look, we've seen heaven come down. Know that what Jesus said he's going to do, he's going to do. He is going to come back. The word of God matters. Peter isn't done. That's his first defense. His second defense is this. He goes on in verse 19. In verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does Peter mean by all this? He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What does that mean? He means that the prophecies of the Old Testament have come to pass. The beautiful thing about this book, and this is a great conversation starter if with anyone who doubts the authority of this book, is that there are two Testaments, an Old Testament and a New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there are so many prophecies about Jesus. And Peter is saying, look, all those things that were prophesied hundreds of years ago about Jesus have come to pass. The prophecies have been confirmed. Here's just one example. In Micah 5.2, you don't have to turn there, but Micah, a prophet in the Old Testament, he prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And you might think, oh, well, Sam, that's, that's, that's a great example. But how many examples are there? Because maybe they just got it right one time. But friends, I want you to look at this graphic. Can we throw that up on the screen? It should come up on the screen right here. If you look at this graphic, let me explain this graphic to you. You see all the arcs. You see all the lines at the bottom. The lines at the bottom represent the books of the Bible divided up into chapters. Those are all the chapters of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In each arc on this graph, it's kind of a little blurry, so it's a little hard to see all of them. But each arc on this graph is each cross-reference of the Bible. This is every time a passage speaks about another passage or looks back to another passage. Or, or prophecy is fulfilled, or Jesus quotes something. Over 60,000 cross-references in the Bible. And that is even more incredible when you consider the fact that the Bible was written over fi- about 1,500 years, 40 authors, three languages, multiple cultures and contexts, 66 different books, all connected. Man could not do that. Only God could do that. Now, what does all this prove? What is Peter getting at here? It proves what Peter says in verse 20 and 21. He says, no scripture comes from anyone's interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. There is no way prophets could predict all the things about Jesus 500 and more years before he came and get it all right by accident. Their prophecies came from God. The things they said came from God. Friends, it basically what Peter's getting at is that he's trying to prove, look, Scripture is not made up. The prophets didn't imagine their prophecies. that weren't just weird dreams they had. No, these were given to them by God. He says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God gave them these prophecies, and they came true in the, in the New Testament. And Peter says, if, they, if those prophecies came true, then what Jesus prophesied he's going to do is going to come true. He is coming again. He will come again to judge the world and gather his children together. And if that is true, church, 
then we should be devouring this word. This should be our daily bread every day. We should be following it closely, letting it be the lamp that guides us through life. And this is what Peter tells his churches to do. This is our last section here. Peter's, I'm gonna, I call this section Peter's recommendation. There was the crisis, then uh, his response, and now Peter's recommendation. Verse 19, Peter says, he almost says it kind of like a parent. He says, we have the prophetic word. He says this, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. He says, you would do well to pay attention to this, he says. He sounds like a parent. But I love the metaphor he uses. He says, pay attention to the word of God as a lamp shining in a dark place. Have you ever been in a dark place in, in real need of a light, like you needed a light? I, th- I can think of one moment, senior year of college, some friends and I, we were camping along the river next to campus. Our, we were hammock camping. Our hammocks were strung up along the side of the river. Had a fire, had a cookout. It was great. We climbed into our hammocks. We're going to bed. A few minutes went by, and all of a sudden we noticed, do y'all, we, we, we were kind of asking each other, do y'all hear that sound? That's a weird sound. It's pitch black. We can't see anything. The sound we were hearing, we know, we eventually recognized. We're like, it's water. And so we kind of started stirring, looking out of our hammocks. And first thing we saw, well, our fire pit is underwater. Our camp has water in it. And the path we came to this place to camp is flooded. The river was going up. We saw that the water was coming faster and higher. And so we, we kind of had this panic moment of like, oh gosh, what do we do? And so we threw all our stuff in bags and just took off through the woods, disturbing every snake and animal in the world. The thing that got us out of those woods, though, were our headlamps. Without them, we could not have found our way. We were, but thanks to them, we were able to find our way in the dark. Friends, what will guide you through this life? The word of God. What will guide you in your political convictions and in your conversations with people? The word of God. What will pull us out of fear in this present day? A lot of us are dealing with fear. What will pull us out of fear? The promises of God in the word of God. What will humble us in our pride? The word of God. Calling us to serve one another. Peter wants us to pay attention to the word. One, because it's from God. But two, because it is our guide, our lamp in this life. And some of you may be thinking, yes, Sam, I know that. I learned that my first day in Sunday school when I was five. Can we move on to something else? And if that is you, or even if that is not you, let me ask, let me ask us a joint question just to think about in your head. If you acknowledge the word is God, do you treat, excuse me, if you acknowledge that the Bible is the word of God, do you treat it as such? Do you treat the word of God like you need it, like it is God's guide for you in this life? Or is it just a book on a shelf that gets pulled off on Sunday? The Apostle John begins his gospel with these words. He says, in the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, anything made, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John goes on to identify Jesus as the word, but I want you to notice two things about this passage. First, John connects his gospel, his account of Jesus' life, back to the very beginning of the Bible. He starts with the words, in the beginning. What other book starts with in the beginning? Genesis. In the beginning, God created. John wants us to see that 
when Jesus comes into the earth, there's a new creation happening, something exciting, something new, something amazing is happening. But the second thing is John calls Jesus the light of men, speaking of all of humanity. And that is significant because what is God coming to do? What is this new creation work? What is God coming to do? God is coming to be our guide, to bring us back to him, to be the light we so desperately need. We went astray in the garden. We chose to undermine God's word, to not listen to it. But God has forgiven us and he comes to be our light, to lead us out of sin, out of death, out of darkness, and into life. Though Jesus is no longer with us in person, he has ascended to be on the throne, he has left us a hard copy of himself. This is no mere book. This is a hard copy of Jesus. Friends, this is a sermon that you've probably heard before. But if you take anything from this sermon, I want, I want it to be this. I want to call you back to the word of God this morning. Is it a priority in your life? I want to call you back to the word this morning. Scripture itself says that this book, this is 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, it says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. This is, the, it says God breathed out this book for you. And that's significant. Think about creation. God spoke and created. And now God has spoken again and created this for you, himself. Friends, this is a weird analogy to think, but I think it's a good one. Are you breathing in what God is breathing out? He has breathed out this word for you. Are you taking it in? I think to apply this passage to our life, I'm going to use the language um, Peter uses. I got three application points this morning. Number one, and it's kind of the obvious one, pay attention to the word of God above all else. Basically what Peter is saying here. He's telling his church, pay attention to the word of God. Church, remember, we hear the same lie that Adam and Eve heard. We hear God's word, his commands are not what is best for you. That's what the serpent told Adam and Eve, and that's what we hear. You and I experience the same temptation that Adam and Eve did. The enemy whispers to us, you decide what is right and wrong. You can decide what is right and wrong. We need to hear and embrace what Peter says. We need to pay attention to the word of God because it is God's lamp for us. He created it to guide us. But first, before we can pay attention to it, we have to acknowledge that we have a tendency to stray. We have to acknowledge that we have a tendency to sin and stray from God. We have a tendency to follow other lamps, other guides, be it a party or a party leader, thinking whatever he or she says is true and just embracing it without question. Or our work, doing whatever our work requires, like that is the guide of our life. Or our social lives, living for the praise and acceptance of certain other people. Or even, and this one, is, this one I think is interesting, or even maybe a pastor. Maybe there's a pastor that you love to listen to, a podcaster. That, you, know, you just follow this pastor and you're like, oh yeah, his word is, well, he preaches his word. And it's like, no, this is the only word of God. But the biggest other lamp that we will be tempted to follow is ourselves. We will be tempted to seize authority over our lives, over, or, or even just a part of our life, 
And because of that, we need this word again and again and again and again, every day in our lives, guiding us back to God, guiding us back to the Christian life. There's a fantastic story in the Old Testament. King Josiah, one of the good kings of Israel. If you, if you know the storyline of the Bible, you know that there's a point in Israel's history where the kings just go off the rails. They stop following God. They're te- they do terrible things. They worship, they, they, or excuse me, they sacrifice their children to false gods. They, they put false gods in the temple of God. They do all kinds of terrible things. But then there's this king, Josiah, who comes on the scene. And him and one of the priests discover the law of Moses. Basically, there's the, the, the scriptures of Israel. That was how bad Israel had strayed from God. They had lost their scriptures. But King Josiah and this priest find it. And King Josiah has this moment where he's like, oh my gosh, we have strayed so far. We are doing terrible things. And he institutes all this reform. He gets rid of all the, the pagan altars, all the false gods, all the idols to the false gods. He reinstitutes the law of God, reinstitutes the, the Sabbath. And here's what it says about King Josiah in 2 Kings 23, verse 25. It says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. Are you turning to the Lord with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your might? Part of that is embracing Scripture, like Josiah did. Ask yourself, church, am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and might? Does the Word of God play an active role in my life on a daily basis? If not, or even if it is, maybe this is, it is time to become a student of the word or to, become, or to continue as a student of the word. So my second application point, become a student of the word. I chose the word student very carefully because if we are going to obey God and hear its truth and know what it says about how we're to live and what it says about us, we have to know it. We have to be willing to know it, to put in the effort to know it. We need to do what Brent preached about last week and remember the testimony of God in Scripture. And here's the reality. This book is incredible. It is amazing, but it is also intimidating, and it can be overwhelming. I don't know if this has happened to you, but I would guess that some of us in this room or some of you at home have had that moment where you're like, yes, I'm going to get into Scripture, I'm going to read it in a year, or I'm just going to commit to reading it, I'm going to open it, I'm excited to learn about God, to know God, and you open it and you start reading, and you quickly find yourself utterly lost and confused, and you don't know what you're reading. I know I've had those moments. And if that is you, I want to give you a resource to help you. I don't want you to leave here and me just saying, read your Bible, because I want to give you a resource to help you, because like I said, the Bible is 66 books written by 40 plus authors over, over hundreds of years. It is a complex book. So I want to give you um, a resource. It should be on the screen here in a second. This is a group called the Bible Project. It's the reading plan that I use. And what is so cool about this, it's a daily reading plan you can do. It's on the Bible app. It's on BibleProject.com. What's cool about this is it has the scripture you read every day, but it also have, has videos. Like, for example, if you start in Genesis, it has a video that just details what Genesis is about. It helps you know the historical context. It helps you understand where all, this, where all these things you're reading fit. It helps you understand how Adam connects to Jesus and how Abraham connects to David and all of these different characters connect. It takes the Bible from all these separate stories and creates a story. One big story. 
So I want to encourage you. Again, you can find this plan on your Bible app. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can find it at BibleProject.com. If you're old school and love paper, I love paper too. You can download it from that website and use it there. But the videos are the coolest part because they even go over like terms that you may not understand, ideas like covenants and all kinds of things that you're just like, I don't understand this. They help you understand it. So I want to recommend that to you. You can do this plan yourself. You can do it with your do it with a friend. And if reading is hard, because I know for some of us reading is hard and sitting down and reading four chapters of a book is like a death sentence, um, you can listen to the Bible app. You can hit a button and it reads it for you. And you can work through it that way and watch the videos. I want to encourage you, become a student of the word. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, once said this. He said, the Holy Spirit has generously and advantageously planned Holy Scripture in such a way that in the easier passages he relieves our hunger, in the more obscure he drives away our pride. And Augustine is basically pointing out that God works through Scripture in a couple of different ways. First, there are those passages that he calls easier. They relieve our hunger. They feed our soul. They comfort us in our tough times. They shine light when everything around us feels dark. Passages that are easy to understand, they give us hope. In the Lord of the Rings, I always have to work in a Lord of the Rings reference. In the Lord of the Rings, there is an iconic moment when the elf Galadriel gives Frodo, who's the heroine of the story, she gives him a vial, a glass vial containing the light of Elendil, which is a star. And she gives this to Frodo and says, may it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Later in the story, Frodo uses it but I think that scripture is like that light that Galadriel gives to Frodo. It is the light we turn to when everything else becomes dark. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel that life is dark. God doesn't feel close like he used to. Your circumstances are hard. When everything gets dark, the word of God shines bright because it doesn't change. Your entire world can be changing, but the word of God stays the same. It is the light for you in the darkness. Turn to Scripture. Turn to the promises of God. But Augustine also says that there are those passages that are more obscure. And God gives us those to drive away our pride. We can, we can reach a point as Christians where we think, you know what, I understand the basics of this book. I'm good. You know, I don't need to read it anymore. I get it. I don't need to know everything. But that is so tragic because God has so much more for us in this book. This is not a, a, a book that we are to read for class and kind of master, take a test, and be done. This is a book that is meant to be a relationship. This is God speaking to us and us responding in prayer and worship. Again, this is a hard copy of himself. God always has more for us, so I would encourage you, if you think you figured out the Bible, well, you haven't, um, because no one has figured out God. So, don't let pride in that way keep you from enjoying a relationship with God. And last little thought here as we wrap up. God always has more for us. So before we even really get into this, we need to be committed to following God himself. This is his word, but we need to be committed to following, following the word himself, Jesus. My brother-in-law, Nathan, and his wife, Stephanie, just had their baby a few days ago. We went to see them this weekend over in Tennessee, and God told the baby, coolest baby in the world, coolest baby in the world, um, best uncle right here, only uncle, but still. Um, 
But we got to see the baby and hold him, and I, I was talking with my brother-in-law, and Nathan turned to me at one moment, and he said, he said, Sam, I think, I think I understand the love of God more than I ever have before. And I, I looked back at him, and I said, really? What, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I was holding the boy. I was holding the son. He told me, he said, you know, that baby doesn't do anything. He eats, sleeps, and poop, and poops. That, that's what he does. And, I mean, he hasn't done anything to deserve my love, but I love him so much. I miss him. And, like, you're like we're talking to each other. I miss him just because I'm not holding him. I love him so much. He doesn't do anything. Friends, that is the exact love that God has for us. Jesus, the Word, as John calls him, has made you his children, given you the ability to be his children and he has given you a hard copy of himself. One of the ways that you can know the love of God is in this book. Breathe in what God has breathed out to you. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful for how it meets us where we're at, when we're sad, when we're mad, when we're depressed or anxious or when life is just hard or whatever's going on, Lord, we can find truth in your word. We can find your promises. We can find comfort, joy, and peace. Father, I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would be men and women, teenagers and children who hunger for more of you in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would devour your word, that it would not be an occasional thing we pick up, but that it would be our daily feast. Father, I pray, Lord, that we, would, that we would all become students of your word, never thinking that we've got it all figured out, but knowing that you always have more for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us that we are your children. That is who we are. Father, we love you. We praise you. Amen.